0: Welcome to episode number 52 of the Church Collective Podcast. In this episode, Chris Bellamy and I were able to talk with Don Moen, which is just an incredible, incredible conversation. It's a little longer than most of our podcast episodes because, man, he had so much wisdom. I I know you're really, really going to enjoy this. So here we go with the Church Collective Podcast, episode number 52.
1: Uh, Well, you know, I've uh, uh, led worship all over the world um, for for many, many years and everywhere that I've. Uh, everywhere that I've traveled, there is, um, you know, you don't have to looked too far to see this tremendous need. And I, I've just realized that worship is more than the songs we sing on a Sunday morning. You know, <clears throat> it can't, it can't end there. Uh, a lot, a lot of times what we're trying to do as worship leaders is create that moment where people connect with God. Uh, but that's not the end game. The end game has to be, uh, and where do we go from here as a result of of having this moment? And and what I what I uh, what I'd like to challenge people to do is realize that uh, worship is more than the songs we sing. It's it's a starting place, but worship really is a lifestyle. And as as a as a church, as believers, I think we ought to take those moments when we really connect with God, and try to reach out. To someone, it could be across the street, it could be across the globe somewhere. But be a conduit of of God's presence in a practical and tangible way, where where we're essentially being the hands and feet of Christ uh, to someone in need. Uh, The people I'm I'm supporting an orphanage in Ghana have for several years, and and uh, we're making plans to visit them in the next month here again. But uh, there's about two hundred children there that we we're trying to provide food for them every month. And these are kids that have been abandoned. I mean, literally abandoned at three, four days old in a garbage dump somewhere. And, and this one little guy was found him in a public toilet. Somebody had tried to flush him down. And it's like, and and this guy is a, is a 18 month little chubby, healthy guy now, you know? So, so that's something in Ghana that I just kind of, when I was touring there, I just went to this orphanage and it's become part of something I do. But, you know when you see someone in need they don't always need the latest greatest worship song yeah uh, they first need to to experience god's presence in a in something tangible and practical like they need food they need shelter they need something and eventually yeah they may enjoy your cd but i, I want to challenge people everywhere i say hey it's more than the songs we're singing that's a part of it uh, what we do for the couple hours on Sunday morning. It's a part of it, but it's only a facet of what we should be as as true worshipers. So hmm. worship in action uh, is, is just one of the outreaches where I've been able to focus, be a little more intentional uh, about the message of uh, worship is more than the songs we sing. Let's make sure it's not all about those two hours and and we got blessed, and and we go back to our to our homes, and yeah. nothing happens. So yeah, like I said, it doesn't have to be Ghana. It can be uh, it can be the person that's serving you your coffee at uh, the drive-through window in the morning. But hmm. be a tangible uh, solution can be a conduit of God's presence in a practical way to somebody. And I think that that speaks volumes in terms of what the the Lord sees as worship, um, because it's interesting to me the. You look at the life of jesus all through the gospels you never hear him mention anything about music and yet we were discussing it we're resourcing the church there's i'm here in nashville there's a whole industry around worship music and yet it's, you know if you look at what jesus talked about he didn't talk about it and he's uh wow so except after the last supper they sang a hymn and went out hmm. uh, other than that the all the emphasis we have on worship uh is there's nowhere in the Gospels where you hear uh, you know this is this is the balance here folks. I think you have to look at the life of Jesus in uh, John 4 he said, the hour is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. that's the type of people God is looking for. and I think Jesus set an example as a true worshiper by uh, reaching out to those in need. he was approachable uh, he was uh, uh, he was loved by sinners sinners loved him so i think it's a good example of of what we should be as worshipers and oh by the way if we live our lives that that way all through the week with our co-workers with our spouse with our families how much more meaningful will the songs of worship be uh, when we come together on a on a sunday so i'm just saying there's more to it than the songs we sing yeah and
0: that's good stuff so i'm kind of going from that do you have like what would be like one of the Big pieces of advice you'd give for uh, this new generation of worship leaders that are coming up, like how do they how do they really set themselves up to not miss the fact that they're not just becoming like a musician uh, at their church, they're not just like a song leader.
1: Yeah, well, I I think the key there is you, you have to realize that that worship, the, the songs we sing are just one facet of what we do, hmm. and, and I you know because we have the technology, because we have the uh, production capabilities these days to, to do uh, a show every Sunday. It's tempting to fall into that trap t- of, uh, man, we got the greatest, hottest lyrics. We got the video. We got the look. And wow, if we fall into that, that trap, um, uh, shame on us. You know, uh, a- Amos chapter 5, 23, 4, 5, 6, 7, it, in, 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 in that passage Amos five twenty three through 27, something like that. It talks about, uh, God says, take away the noise of your music, your songs. I don't even want to hear them. Uh, but let righteousness and justice flow like a mighty stream. Yeah. I think, I think that what I would say to worship leaders, don't get caught up into the production of it all. Hey, I'm a producer. I love the technology. I think we ought to access all of it. in our churches, but we we can't serve that. Mm. That's not what the people in our congregations need. They need God's presence more than ever before. And I think our goal of the two hours we're with the people is find a spot somewhere that really connects with your congregation. There are people coming in every Sunday who are living through hell every day of the week. They're in a Horrible marriage. They've lost their job. They maybe lost a spouse. They, who, who you know, they, they're out of money. Their doctors gave them a report uh, that maybe gave them three weeks to live. These are the what. This is what people go through all the time. And if, and and when they come to our churches, if all they get is a production and some more pageantry, then shame on us. We have failed them. I think mm. what I say to what I try to do myself is find the moment in those. Thirty minutes, or that you have with your congregation, where, gosh, they connect with God and it, it, they it just touch the heart of God. And in order for that to happen, you've got to be transparent. You've got to be vulnerable yourself. And I think you know, uh, sometimes just telling the band to dial it back and just have a moment. Uh, the other night uh, we were in <clears throat> Singapore. I had uh, my friend Lenny LeBlanc touring with me, and. And I, uh, he sings, this, he wrote a song, There is none like you, no one else can touch my heart like you do. And I, and I said to the audience, I said, I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. Worship should be more than a monologue where we sing to God. It really should be a dialogue where we, we allow those moments for God to speak to us. So I said, I want you to close your eyes and I want Lenny to sing this song again. And this time, as if God himself was singing to you, the church in Singapore, and it was a really powerful moment. It was a quiet moment, and and I had Lenny sing, "There is none like You." Just think about God singing that to you. Hmm. No one else can touch my heart like You do. So uh, I think, as you know, as we lead worship, we got to be ready for those moments. Find the moment when you know, when people come to your church, they where you can just connect them with God. And I think, you know. As I do interviews and, and a lot of times internationally I do mainstream media, people always want to put a tag on it. You're, oh, you're gospel music. Oh, you're uh, contemporary Christian music. I say, well, if you have time for me to explain to you, I say it's worship music. Hmm. And I can and worship music is uh, what we do in worship music. We try to create an atmosphere that welcomes God's presence and becomes a catalyst uh, for a conversation between God and man. That's what I'm trying to do. I think that's what we need to try to do in our churches every Sunday. Create that moment that allows God to interact with his people. That's what's going to change them. Not production, not a pageantry. Those moments are what's going to change the folks. And I would, Sometimes we just need to get out of the way. Sure, that's good stuff.
2: Well, You're talking about production and things getting
1: like bigger and
2: bigger and bigger. Um, <clears throat> what is your opinion on this kind of uh mindset of modern churches where they need like a really young worship leader um and they're kind of phasing out older worship leaders um (laughs) i personally i don't agree with that because i feel like a a a good seasoned worship leader brings experience but you know i see it happening in my area i see it happening all over america what's your opinion on that
1: well i I think it's uh, a lot of times, I think people uh, are, are you know, there's a danger of l- letting musical style become the substance of your worship, and I think that's really dangerous. Um, uh, and and you know, people are building the church. A lot of times, pastors they're not really musical. All they know is what they see on uh, on, on TV, what, the, what they see Hillsong United doing, what they see uh, uh, G- Jesus Culture doing, and they they. They say this is the kind of church we want to be, but the danger of that is uh, if you hook your church to a musical style, uh, your church is going to be out of style in, in a few years. A style's mm-hmm. come and go. So I, I would say to uh, young churches and to, to you know pastors looking for worship leaders, I'd just say uh, uh, let – don't don't let style define become the substance of your worship uh hook your worship to things that never change like the word of god like the name of jesus uh, the blood of jesus these things will stand forever and i really believe that a skilled worship leader can incorporate uh all uh, cultures and ages in the church I, i truly believe that true worship uh, transcends denominations, cultures, and generations. True worship does. If it's about a show and if it's about a look and a vibe, that's going to connect with one generation. But I, I believe with all my heart that uh, that there is a way to and it, it, to pick the right songs in the right key with the right instrumentation that can connect with, with grandmothers and grandfathers and can connect with young people and connect with blacks and whites and Hispanic and Asian. I really think there's a way to do this, and it has to be more than a musical style. Um, So uh, that's just my personal opinion. I've worked in churches. I've traveled all over, and they have four and five services. This is the traditional service. This is the celebration service. This is the contemporary service, and you're building five churches. Hmm. I think – and. And it doesn't have to be do anything with age. As you get older, you've seen a lot more. I've seen a lot more. But a young person with understanding, trying to create that heart moment, I believe there's, I think it's important for grandmas and grandpas to be worshiping with their grandchildren, for teenagers to be worshiping with their moms and dads. I think there's a way to do it. Now, you can always do a Friday night youth thing and you can rock it. But when we come together I just think there is a way uh, for us to rally around a certain set of songs that, and I think your audience will will go with you on a lot of styles too. Um, problem is with you know picking like Tomlin's song "How Great Is Our God." You know I was you know I was at a worship leaders conference in San Antonio one time, and and you know, it was in Austin. It was in Austin, and about two or three thousand worship leaders there, and. And I was doing a set, a 30-minute set, and I sang How Great Is Our God. I sang it in the key of G. Um, And Tomlin had just been on the road with me, but he sings it in the key of C. So I mentioned, because it was kind of a teaching environment, I mentioned to the audience, I said, you know, a song as simple as this, it works, but in, I was attending a Methodist church then. I said, in my Methodist church, if I sang this song in the key that Tomlin does it in, it just fall flat because these men are not going to pop an E out on a Sunday morning. Mm. Uh, so, I, so I made that comment. And, I, and Tomlin wasn't scheduled to be on the billing. But I walked backstage and who's there but Chris comes. Uh, <laughs> he's backstage. He goes, so you're dissing my song. <laughs> I said, no, I'm not dissing your song. I'm making a point. You know." And, and like I say, we had just been out touring together. So I said, hey. And then they asked me, Lincoln Brewster was up next. And they said, "Hey, Don, would you mind being an M- MC to um, uh, just bridge? Lincoln's got to set up his band. We need about seven minutes to, for you to kill time." I said, "All right." So I said to Chris, "I said, hey, if you got, if you can hang around for five minutes, let's have fun with this." And and I um, uh, I went out to the audience and I was talking and I said, "You know, I walk backstage and and who's back there but Tomlin?" And he's and he made he said, "So you're making fun of my song, are you, Don?" And 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 anyway, about that time, Chris walked out on the stage and he and he sat down. You could just hear the audience going, oh, my gosh, it's Tom. <laughs> and he walks out and sits down on the piano and he says, Don, what key would you like me to sing this song in? I said, well, go ahead and sing it in the key of C that you'd sing it in and prove to the people here that it won't work. Well, of course, you know, I, you know, 3000 people screamed the song at the top of their <laughs> lungs. But it was a it was a fun moment. But the point is some you know Israel Houghton has a lot of great songs you know um, Hillsong United there's some great songs out there but a, a, a young um, less seasoned worship leader is going to try to sing those songs in that key that the artist did them in and and the fact is you're gonna exclude all of the older generation and I'm just saying in my years of doing this, I think there's a way to incorporate your whole congregation, and and it's, sometimes it's as simple as picking the right song and the right key. You know, uh, yeah. you know I'm sorry, I'm giving you long, long answers to oh, short. Fantastic stuff. Yeah,
2: you kind of already covered it, but I was going to say, what's, what do you think the key is to longevity and as a you know as a worship leader, um, so that you don't find yourself you know um, yeah. ten years later being um, phased out and pushed to a different you know form of service.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, you look at some of the, uh, mainstream artists, you know, that are still out there, you know, you look at Elton John, you look at uh, James Taylor, you look at, uh, you know, just any number of guys know, Springsteen. I mean, they're still out there connecting with an audience. Now it's an older audience, but uh, here in Nashville, we went to hear James Taylor the other night and, uh, a couple months ago. And, um, you look at the audience, a lot of people more my age, but then there's just a lot of kids there, too, you know, because he's, he's learned to connect with an audience. And I, I think to younger worship leaders, again, um, I, I think you need to embrace all musical styles. Uh, and I, I, you know, I'm, uh, I, it's easier for me to sing a ballad. I can't be uh, Israel. I can't be Tomlin. I can't be Smitty. But guess who I can be? I can be Don Moen. And that's one thing that I think will give you longevity is understanding that you, you cannot become somebody else. You can look at all the DVDs and all the you know, media that we have available to us and say, I want to be that guy. I want to sing just like him or her. And, and consequently, you end up uh, being uh, a copycat of something you've seen. Hmm. And I think what connects with your audience and what will give you longevity is being yourself, understanding that God will not anoint who you want to be. He anoints who you are. Hmm. And and I just think there's a real power in that. And it took me many years because I found myself on stage with a lot of talented people over the years. And, and, and I'd look down the line of artists and I'd say, I know why you're here. I know why you're here. I know why you're here. But why am I here? Because what do I have? I got God will make a way. Where there seems to be, it's like somehow it just didn't seem like it was enough to connect with an audience. And I'd get on stage and in one ear I would hear this voice saying, you better dial it up, boy, because Don Moen is not enough. Mm. And then in the other ear I would hear, I think, the Holy Spirit saying, hey, Don, just be yourself. Mm. And uh, and that's the Holy Spirit. And I, I think if there's one thing I'd love people to remember of our conversation today is, to to anybody leading worship be yourself i think that will that's the key to giving you longevity uh your audience will connect with that um you become transparent you become vulnerable you understand that you can't be all these other singers but you can be yourself and there's a real sense of freedom in that and i think that's one of the keys to longevity um and i'm 64 years old okay and I'm touring more than I've ever toured in my life. Mm. Uh, I've been doing this a long time, and um, and you know, hey, I'm on the I I book a lot of cool guys with me on the road. So I'll take them out there, and they're way better than Don Moen. You know, I'll take Lankin out with me. Um, I had Bolash with me, and uh, I have Lenny out with me. I have uh, Laura Story out with me, and everybody's got their gifts. And I realize I I can't be them. But they can't be me, and I I just think uh, I I think it's a key to to longevity and understanding that uh, do what you do and do that well, and then give other people the room uh, to do what they do. Mm -hmm. And I I also you have to work this through with your pastor. But I want to you you need to understand that worship is more than the songs we sing. Worship is a testimony. Uh, We've forgotten the power the power of somebody getting up and giving a, a a. a story, a testimony, a personal story of how God met their needs. That's a part of worship. Uh, somebody getting up leading in a prayer. Somebody getting up reading the scripture. Uh, the pastor preaching. This is all a part of worship, and we've made we've made it into worship equals music, and music equals worship, and that's just not true. So I think you have to have a much broader scope of what it is that we're trying to do, and and uh, create that moment. Where, where God can touch somebody in your congregation, I, and anyway, hmm. that's my two cents on that. That's good stuff. Uh, kind of cool.
0: piggybacking on that too. Um, you have like some practical advice. One of our uh, community guys asked uh, specifically like songwriting. How do you help? Like how, how do you stay like how, I guess how do you find your own voice in songwriting and not fall into trying to copy everything you hear or copying yeah. something on the radio? Yeah,
1: and that's. Uh, Again, I I would say uh, as far as songwriting, you know, don't edit while you don't edit while you write. Mm -hmm. A lot of people get so hung up on rhyming rhyming love uh, with above uh, with dove that they uh, they never they never do write a song. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, there was a book that someone told me to read one time and it's by Stephen King. I've never read one of his novels. I tried to read one after I read this book, but it, it's, I don't, I'm not into his novels, but he wrote a book and it's called On Writing. Stephen King, On Writing. And basically, you know, he says you need to find a room with a, um, it was about d- the discipline of writing. Find a room with a door that locks. Um, every day, go to that room and, and write 500 words or a thousand words. Um, um And and don't edit while you write. Um, Just get stuff out of your heart. You know, these days when you have your cell phones and you have uh, I got my cell phone loaded up with with ideas. I got you know, get an idea. I just sing it into my phone, Um, you know, and I or I'll write something down. I'll sketch out a line. So you need to always be listening, always be uh, listening to what your pastor's saying or when somebody says a line. Say, wow, that's wow. I never heard that before. Uh, ba- Paul Balash is great at this. If you've never, uh, uh if, if you want to get a good seminar on songwriting, I think Paul is one of the best out there. Mm. Uh, and he's written some great songs. But if you're, if you hang out with Paul, we've toured a lot together, but he's great. If you watch him at, at a restaurant, uh, talking to a waitress or a, a server or on an airplane, talking to a flight attendant, they'll say something, and Paul will say, wow, that's a Wow, that's a great line. I've never thought of that before. He's always listening. Mm-hmm. So I would say as to songwriters, you need to always be listening and living here in Nashville. Man, there are people that they every single day, eight hours a day, they're writing their music. That's what they do. They'll pack a lunch and they'll go write uh, from uh, 10 to 1. They'll have lunch. They'll write from 2 to 5. They'll have a dinner. They'll write from 7 to 10 every day. So the level... Is, is of songwriting is going up. And I think, uh, you know, it's just, just determining that you're going to spend time working at your craft is important. Um, don't settle for the first thing that comes out of the out of your mouth. Uh, we serve a God that created the universe, the universe. I believe that we uh, can trust him to, uh, make our songs, make a good song into a great song. Mm. And then partly then th- that's bouncing it off of people. If you want to be a songwriter, uh, you got to prepare, be prepared to have a leather skin because if you ask somebody what they think of your song, they will tell you. And uh, you got to be prepared for that. You got to remain objective and you need to put your song on the table, look at it from every direction, and say what's good about this, what's bad about this. And, you know, if somebody, uh, you know, it's not about being cute because um, that's going to go over the head of your audience most of the time. Um, but I, I think that it, a great song has to start with just a great thought. I mean, this is like sitting in a service and you hear your pastor say something, and you go, boom! Oh my gosh, that's uh, that is so profound. You take that line and you work at it, and then if you can't do it yourself, get you know collaborate with somebody who's great at lyrics. Uh, Mia Fields. I don't know if you know Mia, mm-hmm. uh, but she's. Uh, uh, when I was uh, when I wrote with her the first time, I was really intimidated, because here's this bouncy blonde hill song girl, and with Don Moen, I'm thinking, this is going to be awkward. And I I remember I called Paul Balash because Balash had written with her. I said, what's it like working with Mia? I mean, how is this going to work for Don Moen? And and he said, man, we had a great time. She's got a hundred ideas, um, and the challenge is keeping her focused. But turns out Mia, I've written more co-written more songs with Mia than almost anybody but she's one of my favorite co-writers cuz cuz she's she's got a handle on words like hardly anybody I've seen and she if I use uh if I use the word um uh, mercy in one verse and I try to use it again in the bridge she goes uh why are you using that word again I said because it seems to work in the bridge no the English language has what blah 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 200 <laughs> Words we don't need to use the same one twice in this song. So uh, find a, find someone who can collaborate with you that you trust, uh, that you can that you can be vulnerable with. Uh, and again, that's that's how you make a good song and do a great song. And I was with Integrity for 20 years. I listened to hundreds of thousands of songs, even when publishers were not receiving songs anymore. Uh, they'd send them back to the writer saying we don't accept unsolicited material and <laughs> yeah. you probably all experienced that <laughs> but i but my my trunk the trunk of my car was full of unsolicited material and i found a lot of great songs in those stacks that would have been sent back to writers they weren't all perfect but i would find a hook or a key and i'd go to the writer and say hey maybe they got something here let's work on this so um uh I have I figured out out of listening to a thousand songs, there are probably a hundred that are okay. Out of the hundred, you're going to find ten that are recordable. Out of the ten, you're going to find one shout to the Lord. And that's almost, you know, still today. You go through a hundred songs, you might find ten that, that are great mm. and uh, one that's a killer. You know, it's going to go worldwide. So, uh, you know, like, just keep writing. Sure. Keep writing, but don't settle for the first thing that comes out. That's and, good. You know, and use your music director or your pastor as a and your congregation as a as a you know use them as a research or r and d and if your congregation just totally checks out when you're singing a song you <laughs> they're probably not a great song yeah. to, you know
0: no it's good stuff um I guess if you could speak maybe to your um time in in ministry One one of the questions we had was um as you've been through seasons in ministry. How, how, what was it like feeling God prompting you to move on to a new season, and and how did you like navigate that change? Yeah,
1: well, that was really scary, okay. because uh, one of those one of the big things, uh, biggest things for me was uh, um, leaving uh, Integrity Music, you know, because I had a pretty good job. I was a president of a label. Uh, I had, and I I worked with the greatest musicians and the greatest songwriters in the world, and yet at fifty seven years old. After 20 years there, in my heart, uh, what kind of prompted it is in, I started touring a bit. And my job as a president of the label was to be intentional about the careers of our artists, uh, like Israel, like Ron Canoli, like Hillsong United. I remember nobody had heard of Hillsong United and I went to Sony Records in New York. um, And at Sony, our mainstream partner, you could not, you know, Integrity had 40 projects we we're doing. You couldn't pitch all 40 projects to a mainstream carrier, uh, a distributor. So they had to pick two. They said, what are your two priorities for this year? And I said, this is 06. And I said, uh, Israel and New Breed and Hillsong United. They said, who is Hillsong United? So I had to prepare, I prepared a video. And I said, these guys are going to be huge. Um, so I, uh, you know, I, I, I pitched, I pitched them and, and I pitched Israel and both were, uh, both were home runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I loved those days. Okay. But I, I was so busy working as a music executive and focusing on other people's ministries. My records still got out there and, and they sold and then I'd, I'd leave a production meeting and I'd, I'd get on the road for two weeks and I'd walk into an audience of 50, 60, 70,000 people somewhere overseas and it's like where did you guys come from? I mean the first time I ever flew to the Philippines I was with my band on the airplane and I and I and I said to my drummer Carl, who, who's Paul Balash's drummer now, I said Carl there must be somebody famous on this airplane because there's all kinds of cameras out there and and the press and wow and I was looking around the airplane to see who's Who's famous, and it turned out to be me, uh, because uh, my songs had gotten out of there, out of the, out around the world before I did, and and so what I realized is God had given me a platform as a worship leader worldwide, and I was not being intentional about that calling and that gift, uh, because I was busy working on everybody else, and so I resigned, mm. and it was uh, it was really hard. I resigned in uh, 2007. For a couple of weeks, I, I thought I was great. I was full of faith and uh, even wrote a song. Still, I believe there is more. I believe there is more. And um, then after a couple of weeks and no salary coming in, I got really scared. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I left, people said, you're crazy. You know, you're the president of the label. Um, I had a great salary. I had great perks and I had a great, great staff. But I knew I was being unfaithful if I would have just opted for that security the rest of my life. And so I at 57, I walked away from all of it, and I came to Nashville, and it was two or three scary years for us. Mm. But I, I just knew I had to throw it all on the line again and learn to trust God. In fact, I, I, I didn't even go to a label for my next record because I, I didn't want to sign with a label again. So I went to Kickstarter and did a project— I raised over 40 grand and did a project called Uncharted Territory, because that's where I was. I'd never been in this place before. I'd always had a label paying for my records. I had I raised my own uh, uh, raised the own the budget for the record, Mm. and it was amazing for me uh, to have the Kickstarter friends saying, "We don't know the name of the record. We don't know what the name of the songs are. Well, we know we believe in Don Moen, and here's." I'm in. It's amazing how how it was so encouraging to me. But uh, that was a scary time for me to launch out on my own. But I wouldn't trade ten million dollars uh, to go back to where I was. Hmm. I was a great twenty years there. But I I had to take another chance. And I think uh, even as we get older, uh, you may be young, but uh, you know every ten years or so, God's gonna there's, God's gonna call you to. Put it all on the line again, and and are you willing to take that risk? Are you willing to step away from it all? And what it all boils down to is, uh, you know, I'm willing to trust God. Are you willing to trust God? Yeah. Are you willing to step out uh, and try something new? And I think uh, the answer to that question should be yes, uh, because that will keep you fresh. Uh, that will keep you on the edge. Um, you know, I was in a pastor's office in where I found Give Thanks. I found the song Give Thanks. In Cedar Hill, Texas, in a pastor in a church there, but I was in the pastor's office before I sang, and on the pastor's wall was a picture of a, a ship on a stormy sea, and there was a scripture underneath it, and it said, "Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they will see the hand of the Lord and His wonders in the deep." Hmm. Wow, and I thought, "I'm that's that's me. I want to see the hand of the Lord. I want to see His wonders in the deep," and. Um, It became one of my favorite passages of scripture, Psalm 107, 23 and 24. Well, I should have read verse 25 because it says, And God caused the waves to mount up to the heavens and down to the depths. And they staggered around like drunken men at their wits end, crying out to the Lord in their distress. And the Lord heard their prayer. He calmed the storm. Then they were glad and he brought them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord. Wow. There's the whole story. So um, I, I, again, I I took a step of faith. I left everything that was secure and I went through hellacious storms. It was scary, but through it all, um, you know, my, my family lived through it with me. Uh, The kids saw me live through it. My wife and I drew closer together through the process, but there's something about, and and here in Nashville where, you know, uh, eight, 10 years ago, all the labels had all the answers the whole music industry has been turned upside down mm. it's not the same as it was before and so it's it, there's a lot of people around this town that are crying out to the lord in their distress and and they're, they're kind of in uncharted territory yeah. but uh uh well, it's it, what a wonderful place to be in a in the middle of a storm with nothing else to hold on to except to God's word and hold on to his uh, faithfulness and and that's what we've experienced and that's I think that's what will also keep you fresh Mm. Uh, just just being willing to take that chance
0: Thanks for listening. As always, please head over to ChurchCollective.com and hit connect. We want to connect with you. We want to connect you with others. And there are so many cool ways to get involved with the Church Collective. So we just want to keep you informed. And, and so please head over there. And also please give us a uh, rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us become more visible over there and to connect with more worship leaders. God bless you today.